going to put this mic down. So I have this one, the lapel. But this is part two. Last week I shared with you the story of how love will make a way. How many know that that's true? Love always makes a way where there seems to be no way. That's what Jesus does. He makes a way. Brother Rick called me last night, and he he had a lot of things, heaviness on his mind. He did tell me that Anna brought the kids to see him and that they laid hands on him and prayed for him. And I could see him smiling right through the telephone as he mentioned that. It really meant a lot to him. And if anybody ever gets a chance to go over to the manor, uh, I told I told him, I said, well, you know, Dave and Tara got their van fixed now. He said, well, Dave doesn't have any excuse for not coming to see me now. So anyway, and then he said, well, I don't know. I might rather have Tara come and see me and have her pray for me. Anyway, he, he said, well, I just wanted to call because I miss hearing your voice. And I thought, well, I'm not Jesus, but maybe you can hear Jesus through my words. Amen. But last week, I opened up the series with Love Makes a Way. But you know, the second part, I'm calling it Love Never Fails. How many know that's true? Love Never Fails. Let's look at our text for tonight. And we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Did you hear that? Prophecies can fail. Boy, I ought to stop there and teach a couple minutes. How many like to get a prophetic word? Either through scripture or from somebody who prays for you or something. Or sometimes we watch a, a YouTube video or we watch a ministry on television or something, and people give prophecies. Well, did you know sometimes they fail? Mm-hmm. You, ought to, you know, we think, well, if God said it, it's going to happen. Well, not always, because it's up to us to agree with the word. Yes. It's up to us to step out on that word that we've been given. Yes. You know, if God told you, to go start a ministry, but all you did was stay home and you never did anything towards that, then you're not going to see it happen. That's why I always take you back to Second Chronicles 7.14 where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land. And there might be a little more in there, but I gave you the gist of it. You see, prophecies can fail. That's why I said, if my people, if they do this, then this is what you're going to get. Well, if you don't put money in the bank, you can't go and swipe your debit card over and over and over. You've got to have money in there if you're going to use your debit card. And so, you know, it's important to understand. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies... Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. That's not to make a whole doctrine out of tongues ceasing, but, you know, what do you say? Without love, they're just a noise. 
I grew up in a classical Pentecostal upbringing, and I heard a lot of tongues talking in church. And then some of those people were flat out mean sometimes. So I knew the tongues didn't change them. Uh, but tongues is an expression out of the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful when it's of God and it comes forth, you know. But just tongues in and of themselves is not that powerful without love. When you have love and you pray over somebody, but he said sometimes whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Wow. Who was it that told me? Cookie? She said, pray for me because I keep forgetting certain things or whatever. Or her mind was kind of blank sometimes. I said, well, join the crowd. You're not 65 yet like me, but, you know, one day you're going to catch up with me. Well, you'll still be eight years behind me, but you'll get to that age. But uh, it's all right. My wife and I, she'll say, you know, uh, that so-and-so, and I said, yeah, yeah, I know that. And, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, Timmy mows my Aunt Barbara's yard, you know, Timmy who comes here. And he's probably 35 years old, but he has a time. He calls me and he says, uh, I'm over here at, uh, at, at her house. <laughs> I said, you mean Aunt Barb? He said, yeah, at her house. He was picking up limbs and cutting limbs off the trees and stuff. And, and I said, I don't know why he can't remember Barb. You know, I call her the queen bee, and she likes that. She said that way she can boss all the other bees around. She, she's 82 years old, and she likes that. But uh, she forgets sometimes. I forget sometimes. I forget more than I used to. But thank God when I'm preaching, I tend to remember you know, the anointing brings out the best, anyway, that you have to offer. But love is a powerful thing. And that word love there is the word agape, you know. And Jesus asked Peter, last week I ended in that passage, where he said, do you love me, Peter, or Simon? And he said, you know I do, Lord. And then he said it two other times. And he kept talking to him as Simon. He didn't call him Peter in that passage where they caught all those fish. And I, I want somebody to go research and find out why on earth they caught 153 fish and it didn't break the net. I, that's been bothering me this week. I, then I'd forget about it. I'd like to go research why on earth did they catch 153 fish. There's got to be some significance in the 153 for some reason. But anyway, let's get back on task. But he asked him three times. And, you know, uh, when he said, Do you agape me, Simon? I believe he responded back and said, You know I phileo you, Lord. Phileo is the brotherly love. He didn't quite understand the God love completely. He said, Simon Barjona, do you love me more than these? And he said, you know I love you, Lord. But he didn't quite get the concept. And yet he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Take care of my 
sheep, the people that come to know me in my kingdom. You know, it's important that leaders understand the love of God. And, you know, Nelson called me to tell me the news last night. I was out in the yard, like I am a lot of times when I miss phone calls, out with the two big dogs, making sure they do their numbers before it's bedtime. And then I came back in and I saw that I'd missed his call, and I called him back and found out, you know, and they need prayer for their family in this time. But God's got it all under control. God knows. God knows exactly the number of days a man or woman will live. He knows exactly what you're going to go through. I don't know why, you know, uh, Dave went through that little fender bender. I don't know why Fran went through COVID and was in a coma for all that time, and then she snapped out of it. Most people don't when they get on the machine, you know, a ventilator or whatever, and uh, she's alive. There's a purpose in this. I don't know why Sister Sheila's granddaughter died at an early age. Boy, what a trooper she was. What a saint of God that young lady was, a, a bright light. We'll know when we get to heaven, but right now it's up to us to reflect the love of God here. You know, we still must go on. Not to use a, a saying of the world, but well, they say the show must go on. We must continue on in life, even when things happen. Sometimes people pass away at an early age. Sometimes they live to be 105, and they ask them, well, what is your secret? And the old man may say, I don't know. I drink whiskey every day and smoke a cigar every day, you know, or something. And you think, what on earth does that have to do with living to be 105 or whatever? But, you know, life goes on. We must pack every moment that we can into this life being valuable and being a servant of Christ. But we go on and we see, you know, uh, here's statement number one. Love starts at home with your brothers. You have to start at home and love one another. Wouldn't you say so? Let's look at John 13. And it says there, 12 through 17, So when he had washed their feet, and you know, I had to make sure my old southeast Missouri jargon didn't rise up and say wash. My, my wife caught me saying wash the other day. I said, I said wash? She said, you sure did. I said, well, I really had trained myself not to say wash. But anyway, he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again and he said to them do you know what I've done to you you call me teacher and Lord and you say very you say well for so I am if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you most assuredly I say to you a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In verse 17, oh, I read it, okay. If you're blessed, you, you ought to do these things. So, brothers and sisters, 
not omitting the ladies, but we got to love one another. We got to help one another. You know, Timmy may forget Aunt Barb's name, but he loves it that she says, Tim, you do such a good job. And I go out there and I say, Tim, you messed this weed eating around this tree. She's the good guy and I'm the bad guy. She's the good cop, I'm the bad cop. But I correct him because that's what a father would do. That's what a spiritual father does, is corrects his children. And so I give a little correction along the way. But even if he forgets her name, he doesn't forget her caring, loving attitude toward him. She thinks the world of him. But see, we've got to love each other. We've got to help one another. 1 John 4, let's see what it has to say in verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. There it is again. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that's agape, by the way. We love one another. That word for love, agape, that is an unconditional God love. It's a love that's not based on your performance. You know, uh, when your child does something well, you say, good job. I'm sure, Anna, you told Caleb sometimes, you did a good job, Caleb, or Cherish, you, do, you did a good job. You know, and I tell my kids, I tell Zach still, hey, son, that was a good message today. I'm proud of you. And he always thanks me. And we always say we love each other, you know, when we're with each other on the phone. It's important. You know, my dad didn't always say he loved me. I didn't hear that very much until he wrote me a letter one day, and I got it, and I still have it today in my jewelry box. I've got a letter that he wrote me, and he told me he wasn't as good a father as he should have been, and this, that, and the other. And, you know, he was disabled from a mental disability, but he recognized it and he confessed it to me, and it helped me to accept and move on. You know, sometimes you need that. You need somebody to say, I made a mistake, or I wasn't as good as I should have been, but you know what? I love you. And he said it in a letter, even if I didn't hear it out of his mouth. And so that meant a lot to me. And uh, we just... I don't know, I was talking with my new friend back there about being Irish, and uh, he made a comment to me that that's why they invented whiskey, because Irishmen couldn't run the world or something like that, you know. So anyway, I'm, I've got a lot of Irish in me, and so we didn't always say we loved each other, but we hugged and laughed, and we sure laughed a lot, I know that. And so, you know, but... You, you get in my wife's circles, the Latin circles, the Italians and the, and the Hispanics, you know, and they can't say hello or goodbye without kissing you on the cheek. I mean, I, that was hard to get used to. You come from a family that barely hugged, you know, and then you go, I moved to New Orleans and everybody under the sun give you a hug and a, and a kiss on the cheek. I kind of figured that one out when I was single, and I turned my face one time. That girl smacked me right dead on the lips. You know, I thought, whoa, mama, you know. 
I didn't get away with that anymore, though. But anyway, some people are more expressive in the way that they show their love towards each other. But agape love is unconditional love. It's not based on, where well, you're going to do something for me, so I'm going to love you. You know, phileo loves brotherly love. Eros love, the third kind of love, that was like love between a husband and a wife. You know, it was sexual love, you know. And so eros, phileo, and then agape. And so Jesus talked about agape. We need to love each other without condition, not based on if somebody's good or not, not based on... I think my phone was trying to go up. If you can indulge me, I'm going to turn the volume down. I can't believe I left it up. But anyway, there it is. Let's move on. Let's go on to 1 John 4, 17 to 21. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And then 20 and 21. Who is that, Philip? Well, I thought I had 20 and 21 there as well. I guess not. I didn't bring my glasses out here tonight. Maybe I can still read 20 and 21 here. Let's see. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom... He has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother also. Yeah. How can you say you love God and you don't love your brother or your neighbor, your friend? Like I said, it's not based on them being good or, or maintaining a level of behavior that you do. Oh man, I tell you what, raising kids is what gave me gray hair. And the rest of it fell out, you know. That's not there. But, you know, I got wisdom out of that. My, tid, my kids taught me more than my schooling did. I, I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in education and communications and a psychology concentration Woohoo! I got a degree. It's a BS degree. Don't read into that one. That means Bachelor of Science. But, you know, when they say a degree, a degree is about that big, you know, when you go 360 degrees, it's just a little bitty degree. But I did take other classes. I took 16 postgraduate classes in biblical studies and such. I never got a master's. But I think I earned a master's degree in knuckleheadism. That means I knew how to deal with the knuckleheads out there in this world by coaching boys, girls, I don't know. They tried to get me my last year. I opted out of the baseball, and I, they said, well, won't you coach girls softball? I said, come on now. You know the first time I yell at them like I yell at these boys, they're going to cry and go home and complain to mama. You know, I didn't think I could coach girls. And then I had two girls along with two boys. And I realized, boy, I think my girls, they're pretty tough, you know. I probably could have coached girls. They might have 
obeyed me a little bit better than those boys did. But anyway, you know, love your brother. Love those around you. Jesus, what's the name? Jesus always sees value. You see, I don't look at somebody and say, oh, they got just a grade school education. If I did, I'd have to disqualify my grandpa, which he knew more than anybody ever knew, I think. He could take a piece of wood, and he had the tools. He could form and make a table leg looks just like the other three. He had tools and knowledge. We took a bunch of broken glass one day. It was a rainy day, and he said, come on out here to the garage. I went out there with him. I was about 10 or 11 years old. And we got that bucket of broken glass. I always wondered why he kept that can of broken glass in there, all different colors. And he got out some lead, and he had a part of a top of a lamp, and he had the bottom. And before you know it, we formatted and made a Tiffany lamp. It was rounded, and we put the pieces of glass together. It was beautiful when we got done. He had... I think, a sixth-grade education. And yet he fished the Mississippi River to feed his family when he lived in Charleston during the Depression. He knew how to work. He knew how to do things that nobody else knew how to do. He built his own house with his two sons, you know, for $8,000. And it was about a 3,000-square-foot home, you know, right there across from Bacon Park. It burnt down later on, many years after he went on to be with the Lord. But he could do all kinds of stuff. So you can't judge a person by their quote-unquote school education. Now, they may get a particular job because they got that education, but it doesn't mean that they're dumber, smarter, or stupid. It just means they come from a different way or different lane of experience. And my grandfather was very wise, very knowledgeable, and he knew how to make money and save money. He gave a lot of money to missions over the years. Uh, with that sixth grade education, he always paid cash for everything, and he always drove a Cadillac or a Lincoln Continental. He always drove a nice car, and he drove fast. My grandma, his name was Thomas Govey Neal. My grandma, Rosetta Neal, she went by Etta. We'd be riding along. Sometimes I'd be in the middle between them. And she'd say, Govey, slow down. You know, how fast are you going? I said, Grandma, he's going 90. 90? Why are you going 90? You know the speed limit's only 60. Yeah, but he, he loved to drive fast. I'm glad he didn't kill us in that car. But anyway, God through Jesus, always saw value in people. It reminded me of a story that I'd heard, and I actually heard it from a blind man who played the violin, and he sang, and he told this story. It's about the old violin, and it's about value. He said, if I can read it without my glasses, let me see here. "'Twas tattered and scarred, and the auctioneer 
though it's scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar then? Two, only two, two dollars. And who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the, from the, I think it says mom, far back a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bowl. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, Who am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars? Who'll make it two? Two thousand. Who'll make it three? Three thousand. Once, three thousand, twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came his reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like this old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, going twice. He is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the words of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I apologize for not having my glasses to read it quite proper, but I hope you got the story. Jesus values people, and he is the master. And when he touches someone, their life changes. I think about different ones who have been drug addicts, alcoholics, They've been womanizers. They've been whatever the world has to offer. And they've come into church and they've gotten prayer. They've received Christ and they've been delivered. And then they become something great under the touch of the master's hand. You know, my wife and I were talking about a, a lady that's been in and out of church here recently. And we don't know where she's at right now. We... She hadn't heard from her in over a week or two. And I looked at her and I said, until she gets a complete touch of the Master's hand from Jesus and gets delivered completely, she's going to be like two people in one body. Dave Wilkerson wrote a book called Two of Me. One is this person over here that seems like they got it all together, and then over here is the one that falls in to their addictive behavior. And 
They need Jesus to be there and touch them 100% completely and delivered out of the mess that the other person gets them into. That they can be whole. They can be one person in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. But let's go ahead and let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29, where it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Have you noticed how many times Jesus answered questions with a question? And he answered and said, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, and who is my neighbor? Now, we want an out many times. We don't want to love some people because they just don't look lovable. And others are easier to love. Maybe they're pretty or handsome. Maybe they wear beautiful clothing. Maybe they have money to spare. Maybe they drive the finest vehicle. You know, we don't know. That doesn't show the true picture of everybody. You know, I had a man that was on my board in Florida. He's a little Peruvian man. He always got irritated when other Hispanic people who immigrated to the United States did not learn to speak English. He, it frustrated him that they'd have to put up a sign in Spanish and English. And he said, I learned English. And he worked hard. He worked in the Studebaker uh, manufacturing company. Then he went to uh, one of the steel manufacturing companies, I think is in Pittsburgh. And then he went up the ladder and he ended up being the president or the general manager, whatever they called him, over a steel manufacturing company in Mexico City. And then he retired back to the United States and he owned about 20 to 25 houses and he owned a hotel and Yet, when he drove, he drove in a Buick or an Oldsmobile, I think it was. An old Oldsmobile had a dent in the side, and it was about 15 years old. And he wore khaki pants and just a, a work shirt that looked like he came right out of the Salvation Army or Goodwill, which I shouldn't say Goodwill. There's some nice clothes over there that you can get. But he, he looked like he didn't have anything much. And yet he worked hard every day. He stayed fit, always respectful. I remember we were trying to pay off a $100,000 loan, and we went to the bank, and we had this balloon note. It was like six months after I got there. I didn't even know they had a balloon note until I got there and took the position. He said, Pastor, let's go down to the bank. He was only like five foot five, And we walked into that place, and he had his khakis on, his work shirt, and as we went into that bank, I think it's called uh, Hibernia Bank there in South Florida, he walked in, and somebody walked by and said, Hello, Mr. Rendon. And another one walked by as we went, and he walked up to the secretary, and another one walked by, Hey, Mr. Rendon, are you having a good day? And the secretary said, Good to see you, Mr. Rendon. And said, The president will see you now. 
president of the bank. We didn't go to some loan officer. We went in, sat down across the desk from the president. The president looked at him and said, well, Mr. Rendon, what can we do for you today? He said, this is my pastor. And at our church, we have a loan that's come due. It's a balloon note. And I would like it if you would give us a loan for five years to pay this off. And uh, he said, whatever you need. He called, said, do this, that, and the other. And he came in and gave us a check for $100,000. Boom, just like that. Very respected. But he didn't look like he was a multimillionaire. He could have gave it. I don't, you know, I'm not judging. But he could have gave that 100000 never missed it. But he became very giving after that. And I had another older man, and he dressed in these old plaid shirt and, and you know, simple clothing. And, and he had retired. I didn't realize he had retired from Burger Chef. You all remember Burger Chef before it became Hardee's? And he, he had retired from owning several Hardee's, and he was a contractor. And he, had, he built his home himself there in South Florida, Mr. Farmer. He looked like Santa Claus with a short haircut, you know. But uh, he helped me when we were going to go forward. He bought, I don't know how many hundred thousand dollars in bonds that we were raising money to build our church bigger after the hurricane wiped us out, Hurricane Andrew. But he was there to help. And you never would have thought he had any money. He didn't drive a fancy car. In fact, he bought our minivan when I traded it in for another vehicle. And uh, that was quite humorous to me. He was a multimillionaire. And it was just amazing to me how you cannot judge, what is it, uh, a book by its cover. But these men were servants of God, and they helped their neighbor, Pastor Kevin, several times throughout my time there. And uh, anyway, you don't judge that book by its cover. You look at a person and you love them regardless. And so we see, so the question is this, who is my neighbor? Who's your neighbor tonight? What does your neighbor look like? I have a neighbor across the street, Tyler, who's used to attend here regular, and then he's, now he's working for the fire department. He takes his kids out with his dad and mom now at Bluff First. But he always tells me, I miss the church. His kids like the little kids program there. But uh, little Gracie came over and hugged my neck the other day. And she said, do you have any suckers? Because I always gave suckers to the kids. I said, no, I don't keep them here. It's in my office at church. You come to church. She said, yeah, well, my dad doesn't bring me to your church anymore. I said, well, tell him to bring me to my church. And anyway, I was doing a little advertising there to the kids. And uh, but uh, Tyler, he was my neighbor, and I would talk. First, I talked to his dad in the street, and I told you all about that. I had a street minister, I, and I do. I talked to all the neighbors in the street, and uh, I've been talking to my new neighbor now in the street, retired professor from a college up in Illinois, bought the house next door, and I've been talking to him. But Tyler I talked to a long time, got him in church, and then one Sunday... I met him in the aisle, and he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And whenever he has trouble, 
he calls on me and we get together and talk and I pray for him. But see, that's how it works. But let's look at who the neighbor is. Luke 10, 30-37. This is a good story. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I'll, I'll explain this to you. I share at funerals about, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David said, I will fear no evil. And that's because he was talking about the Jericho Road between Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and then it goes through this mountainous region down to Jericho. And it was a gorge, about like that. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun would pass over and it would be pitch dark in that gorge. And that's where the thieves would be waiting if somebody hadn't gotten all the way through. And they would attack them. And that's what happened to this guy on the Jericho Road. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, what is a priest supposed to do? They're supposed to serve God, but also help people. Well, he saw that Samaritan. That's like, you know, this is somebody we don't mix with. You know, back in the 50s, they used to have one fountain that was for white people and another one for colored people, they called it. My grandpa used to use that term. He'd say, yeah, those colored folks. I said, well, Grandpa, what color were they? You know, that perplexed him. He didn't know what to say to me. See, I've been in churches in New Orleans where we had 40% African-American. And then in Miami, I had 30% African, well, not just African-American. I had Bohemian, Dominican, Puerto Rican, uh, Cuban, uh, Haitian, you name it. And we had 40% Hispanic. I didn't just have black and white. I had shades of color, many shades on the rainbow. But anyway, see, the priest, that isn't my people. When I was growing up, boy, if you weren't Pentecostal spoken tongues, we didn't hang out with you. We didn't hang out with the Baptists. We didn't hang out with the Church of Christ. You know, now the Church of Christ, they kind of think they're going to be the only ones to make it, you know. And uh, if you do musical instruments in church, you're in trouble. You know, the Catholics think they're the only ones going to make it. And then you got the, what is it, the Missionary General Baptist or the Missionary Baptist? One of those groups think they're the only ones going to make it. So you got all these people who think they're the only ones going to make it to heaven. You know, the Mormons got their brand, Jehovah's Witness got their brand, all these different ones, you know, and we didn't mix with them. And God forbid if you married somebody from a different church background. Well, my wife was a Catholic when she was raised, and she met Jesus in Assembly of God Church that I was one of the youth pastors in. Well, we got married. Well, you know what? I met a lot of Catholics after that because, and most of the people in our church down there were former Catholics. But Catholic just means universal church in its meaning. You know, we're all part of the Catholic Church when you just look at what the word Catholic means, that we're part of the, of the total body of Christ. But the reality is, you know, we're not part of the group that worships Mary and does certain things. But I tell you what, when I sit down, 
I did a funeral with a Catholic priest one time. I wasn't offended. And he didn't seem to be offended either. You know, we were there for the family. But it's not, I know there's some things we cannot agree on, but what can we agree on and what can we sit down with people about? And most of the time it's Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and Savior. He's the one that died on the cross and one raised from the dead. And so we shouldn't get so bent out of shape that I won't have nothing to do with him. He doesn't speak my language. I won't have nothing to do with him. He's not my color. I won't have anything to do with him. He's not my ancestry race. I won't have nothing to do with him. He worships a different way or in a different kind of church. But a priest should be a servant unto God and then a servant unto people. You shouldn't have to ask, well, are you a member of my church or else I won't help you? No. You know, we need to help people, period. That's like I told you about the black lady and her partner, whatever he was. They were sitting on the curb at the Winn-Dixie, and I come out and they said, can you give us some money for food? Well, I'd already been burned many times giving people money. I said, well, if you're hungry, meet me over there. And I pointed at a checkers hamburger place, kind of like rallies over here. It's just a little booth, and you go in there and you get your burgers. And they had a little picnic table, and we, we got the burgers. I brought them out, uh, and I sat down, and I passed each one of them theirs. They said, you're going to eat with us? I said, why not? You know, I'm hungry right now. And I got you burgers. I got one, so I'm going to eat before I go home. It was after church on a Wednesday night. I went to get milk. Came out with a couple of new friends. And I found out that they had, had been uh, diagnosed with AIDS. And the lady's cousin kicked them out because they didn't want them sitting on their toilet seat or taking a bath or a shower in their bathtub. So they told them to leave. Well, they didn't have any money. They couldn't work. It didn't seem like anybody would give them a job. So they were living under the bridge. And that's why I sat down with them, and I talked to them about the love of God, how God loves them even when your relatives don't. I said, I'm a pastor. I love you in the name of Jesus. And see that? rooftop over there you could see the top of our church from the from the checkers burger place i said that's our church and i would love to have you come they never did and it's funny because i came back around and i looked and i could never find them some people say well maybe they were angels well i've never met an angel at least that said they had aids you know angels don't lie uh, but anyway uh, I never found them again. I don't know where they went or what happened. But they heard the message of the gospel, that Jesus loved them, and that Jesus fed them through me. And so likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Well, a Levite is a teacher of the law. Zach's been teaching some in one of the Christian colleges online. He's been a teaching assistant with some of his professors. Well, you know what? Just because you teach and you have a lot of knowledge doesn't mean that you can't help somebody and you can't reach out to them. And uh, God loves them. We have to love them, no matter what our station in life is. And uh, so anyway, then the third, but a certain Samaritan, 
as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He didn't care what color he was, what his educational status was. He didn't care about anything. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He must have been a regular customer. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You know, it's important that we do what Jesus said we need to do. Amen? Let's go and let's do likewise. Let's let God use us to touch others. And you might just take my advice of telling five people a day that Jesus loves them. And then pause and take a little time to talk to them. You know, you'd be amazed and surprised. You know, I wouldn't tell this too much, but I was at McDonald's today in Walmart. And I don't order their burgers. I don't know what's in them all the way, but I don't order them. <laughs> I know Hayden's, Wendy's, and what's the other one? Uh, no, there's two or three of them in town. They're real meat, and it's fresh. But uh, what I order from McDonald's is a fish sandwich, just when I get a craving for a little bit of fish. So that's what I ordered, and this lady was there. She just talked to me. It's amazing how many people. I, I just look like a common face, I guess. People always say, you look familiar. I say, lots of people tell me that. I know they're not. Maybe they watch on YouTube. I don't know. But I just look very familiar to people. For one thing, I smile all the time. I can't help it. I'm just happy. It's funny. My grandson, the only one I got, got another granddaughter coming. I'll have five girls and one boy. But Judah, Alicia's little boy, he told his mama the other day, he said, I love Papa. And she says, well, I do too. He said, because he makes me laugh and he's always happy. So I said, what? A good testimony. I'm glad that that's how he thinks of me. That I love him, I'm happy, and I make him laugh. And I hope that that's the case for a lot of people in life. Stand with me tonight. Be that good Samaritan. Touch somebody. Change them. Make a difference in their lives. Don't worry about how they look or how many tattoos they have or how long their hair is or how short their hair is or how many nose rings they have. You know, nowadays you can get it all. But they're a person with a soul. No matter how they look, they need Jesus Christ. And if they get him, there's a good chance a lot of things will change. So I bless you tonight. I thank God for you. I ask God to help you and lead you and guide you and help you to be a witness with your life, more with actions than with words, and that others will see that there is a real God in this universe that cares and loves and wants to make a difference in their life. 
In Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Y'all great.